Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to Roll the Quadcast, a Blogger So Dear podcast where little old Charlie Brown is still trying to kick that football. Blogger So Dear is the go-to website for the best independent analysis of Wake Forest athletics. Welcome to another episode of Roll the Quadcast, recording here live on February 2nd, 2015, a National Signing Day edition of Roll the Quadcast. I'm Rob Reinhardt, joined as always by my co-host, Riley Johnston. Riley, how are we doing this evening? Doing pretty well. Had an extended layoff here. Hopefully we're rejuvenated. We've been watching some basketball, got some football, and it's a big day coming up here on Wednesday, and I guess that's why we've uh, gathered here again at uh, Mueller Drive. <laughs> That's why we dusted off the old laptop and, um, you know, bring and uh, t- to help everybody get acquainted with our, our football recruiting, we've brought in someone who knows more about it than we do, and that is Les Johns, who is the publisher of Deacons Illustrated. You can follow him on Twitter, at Wake Rivals. Um, Les, are you there? I am here, folks. How are you? Well, we are doing fantastic. And, um, you know, let, let's get into it. Signing day is, you know, just a little over 24 hours, a little over 24 hours away. Uh, Wake's got a, a pretty good class. Let's talk about some of the biggest names in the class. Which names are standing out to you as players you like and you think either can be decent contributors for us this year or at least, you know, several years down the line? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, Robert and Riley. I, I appreciate uh, coming on here, and I'm looking forward to having a good time with you folks. Um, the, the first name that, that pops out to me is, is, and it's only because it's it's probably the area of greatest need for the Deeks, and, and that's, you know, the, the commitment this last week of Rocky Reed, you know, from uh, Concord, North Carolina, three-star running back. Um, he's accumulated, you know, 6,000 yards rushing the last two years for Concord High School. And it's absolutely, you know, as we saw last year, one of the biggest areas of needs for the Deeks. Um, number 38 ranked uh, running back in the country. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's just, it's just uh, he's the type of playmaker. And that's one of the things that Coach Cawson has talked about frequently is the fact that the Deeks need someone who can take, you know, a three-yard gain and, and make a cut and make it a 15- or 20-yard gain. Or a player who can take a little five-yard slant route and take it from a three-yard gain to a 15, 20, 30-yard gain, and occasionally break one for a touchdown. Or Rocky Reed's game-breaking ability, and that's why I think adding him to this mix was was crucial for for Wake Forest. I I certainly agree with you, and you know you you covered uh, the team last fall as as we did, and any anybody who wants the team knew that running back was a desperate <laughs> positional need and to get, you know, arguably our best player in the class um, and a top 40 running back in the country originally committed to, to Tennessee with other looks from Louisville and West Virginia. That's just a, a home run for the staff. I thought. Yeah. Now other running backs that are in the mix right now, um, Tyler Bell's committed from Alabama, solid back, three-star that also had some some higher-level looks, uh, kind of some, some more mid-majors along the way were looking at him. 
And there's still uh, Saheen King, who uh, broke all kinds of records at his school. Uh, I think he scored 40 touchdowns last year, led his team to an undefeated state title. He's set to announce, we're guessing, sometime in the next 24 hours. I mean, clearly, he's got got 36 hours or so to kind of make his decision. (laughs) (laughs) And it seems he's down to – Maybe Wake Forest, uh, Middle Tennessee State, Troy might be in the mix. At one time, West Virginia was looking at him, but that kind of seemed to be faded out. It seems like if you just kind of follow the, the, the guy on Twitter, it's kind of down to Middle Tennessee State and, and Wake Forest, but uh, which is a weird kind of uh, team to be you know lodged in a recruiting battle against. But you know that's where things are right now. So. Um, you know, running back, that position is going to be, you know, already improved significantly no matter what else happens the rest of the cycle, you know, just by adding Rocky Reed. But uh, adding, you know, Keen in the mix would be, you know, many people call it thunder and lightning, you know, and that, you know, Rocky can add some of that power rushing, whereas whereas Keen's got that 4-3 speed that's also needed. So, you know, having them both in the mix would be, you know, quite a luxury for the Deeks, and it's, it's something that I know uh, would, would have a lot of fans excited. Yeah, and also two weeks ago we landed four-star Kyle Kern, the quarterback out of California, uh, which <laughs> he was committed to SMU, he decommitted. We kind of came on late there. Um, I believe he's our first four-star in the class, according to the rivals' rankings, and probably one of the five or six four-stars that Wake's ever landed. Uh, do you see – uh, Kyle Kern's kind of coming in and pushing the starting job with for, uh, with Wolford and Hinton, or do you ha- I don't know, uh, any inside intel you have there, but it, it looks like it's a three-headed uh, horse race at the quarterback position already with uh, Kern's coming in. Well, you guys can speak to the history of the quarterback race over the last year or so, uh, because I kind of came in at the tail end of that, having taken over at Rivals in August, September-ish. But, uh, you know, there's going to be a quarterback competition that I don't believe has been seen at Wake Forest in quite some time. Um, you know, and I do believe he's going to come and compete, but you have to believe that Kyle's going to be behind the learning curve, so to speak. You know, obviously, you know, John Walford's coming in with a year of experience, a year of getting pounded in the pocket, but kind of sticking in yeah. there and making some tough throws. Um, he, he showed a lot of fortitude for the most part, a pretty darn accurate quarterback. And many say he runs better than what he showed this year, uh, that he runs better. And conversely, Kendall Hinton, who enrolled early, probably passes better than people give him credit for. So Kendall Hinton is a a Durham, North Carolina product, three-star quarterback, uh, like I said, is already enrolled at Wake. And, you know, he's going to participate in spring practice. And so both of those quarterbacks are going to have a huge leg up on Kyle Kearns. That being said, he is the 12th rated pocket passer in the country. Put that in perspective. The number 11 pocket passer committed to uh, Michigan. The number 13 pocket passer uh, committed to Tennessee. So this guy's an elite company. Kyle Kearns didn't come to be third-string quarterback. I guarantee you that. He believes he's going to come in, he's going to compete. So it's going to be, like I said, I would, you know, without my lack of knowledge, without my lack of history, with my lack of history towards Wake Forest, I would have to believe it would be one of the the biggest quarterback competitions that this school's ever seen. Just because I think you've got three 
qualified candidates to take over that role and, you know, lead this team for the next, you know, four to five years. I think the quarterback position setting very good. Maybe the top, maybe the top position in the program at this point. I mean, what would you all think about that? Yeah, I I tend to agree with that, especially, I mean, Wolford was highly regarded. I think he got a lot more talent than he was able to demonstrate last year behind a shaky offensive line and a horrendous run game. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. <laughs> I think Wolford can't take off a snap for a minute, and I don't think he will, but I, I could see any three of them starting uh, moving into next year. It's a very talented position. And Wake doesn't land a lot of four stars in football. Um, do you? I know you've spoken I, – I believe you interviewed him a little bit – um, do you know why he was, I guess, not as highly regarded? Did he commit to SMU early on, uh, referencing Kyle Kearns here, and then not look around? Uh, why weren't bigger schools after him? He committed uh, relatively early to SMU. Of course, they went through the coaching change. And plus, overall, in the West Coast, which were the people that saw him more frequently, he was kind of a little down the pecking order, you know, on the West Coast. And, uh, you know, I guess he just kind of fell through the cracks. You know, it it kind of seemed like an overnight romance with Wake Forest, but it really wasn't quite so much. Wake was involved with uh, with Kyle Kearns in the spring and before, uh, and there were thoughts that they might actually pull an offer to him, put, give him an offer instead of Kendall Hinton, but they ended up offering Hinton instead. Hinton came aboard, and then they never wrote an offer to Kearns. But they still stayed in contact. And when all of a sudden, you know, there is no third quarterback on the roster for a vast of sundry of reasons, you know, clearly the team can't go into the fall with just two quarterbacks. I mean, you know, they just can't. It's just not very, a very bright idea. So, uh, you know, clearly at some point they were going to bring another quarterback. You know, he was available and, the, you know, kind of they, they met in the middle and, and he came to campus and loved the visit and, and the rest is history. Yeah, and, um, you know, I, I certainly agree with you that quarterback is probably our best uh, position. Unfortunately, only one of them can play at the same time, and I agree with you that it might it should be an, an excellent uh, battle this spring with Hinton enrolling early, and then, you know, later on, once Kearns get here, gets here, that'll be interesting. So he had some, some decent film, you know, pretty pretty accurate, a, a big guy, and, you know, Riley and I went to the uh, a lot of the early practices last year, uh, when it was in a four quarterback race, but uh, you know anybody watching that could see Wolford separated himself pretty clearly. Now I I don't think that's exactly going to happen uh, this year. I agree with you that I think all three are going to push each other. Other so that's going to be a fascinating story uh, throughout the spring. I mean, uh, besides those positions, are there, are there anybody else? Any other uh, you know? you know, guy for uh, Wake fans to keep in the back of their mind who or who yeah. maybe they'll even see the Sad- Yeah, sadly enough, uh, you know, one of the other positions I would have thought would have been the strength of the Deeks would have been tight end. And, you know, you're coming back with Devin Pike. Of course, Cam Saturday had a breakout freshman year. And then they pulled in Bowman Archibald, who, uh, you know, many, many scouting services has him as a four-star rivals, has him as a three. Six foot six, two hundred forty, big target, blocks well. Uh, he rolls early, uh, and he flips from Miami University, University of Miami, which is no small achievement to get a flip from University of Miami. And he rolls early, and then just in, in you know catching passes with John Walford, 
and a fluke injury breaks his leg. <laughs> so, you know, he's gone through surgery and he's, you know, he's on the comeback trail. So it's one of those things he definitely won't participate in the spring. We don't really know where he's going to be at for the fall yet to be determined. It's not out of the question, but you have to wonder, you know, all of a sudden. And then, and then Jake Vargas, you know, uh, decommitted and, and eventually committed to North Carolina. So once once upon a time, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, you think, okay, Wake's great at the tight end position. Now all of a sudden with the decommit and the injury to Archibald, it's all of a sudden they're kind of back down to two pending how he rehabs. So that's kind of a shame, clearly. Um, other other um, other things, that, other positions that they've really, you know, um, uh, brought in some strength just with this recruiting class is basically the skill position, top wide receiver, top quarterback. Let's talk about wide receivers. Uh, you know, we talked about running backs and quarterbacks. Wide receivers is another area where they've really um, brought in some talent. They're coming in early as Tabari Hines. And then signing, you know, uh, Wednesday should be Scotty Washington from the D.C. area and Stephen Claude, you know, a pair of three-star wide receivers. Um, and then also often looked over, and this is kind of one of my people that's kind of like a sleeper to me, is Charles Wade from uh, Bishop Kenny High School in Florida. If you remember, Bishop Kenny's where uh, John Walford came from. Charles Wade this year, and he was listed in rivals as a cornerback or safety. I can't remember which one. But he won the Northeast Florida uh, Offensive Player of the Year as a wide receiver. You know, and him and Wolford have, you know, obviously a good chemistry. You know, so he's a person that comes in as a two-star, maybe kind of lightly regarded, that can come in and earn some playing time based upon his playmaking ability and his all his chemistry that he already has with the perceived starting quarterback. So that's a person I kind of look for to kind of be kind of below the radar that can make a big impact. But also, like I said, the wide receiver. And this goes back to the general philosophy of Coach Clawson as far as last year's recruiting class. There's two things he wanted to do last year. One, if you listen to what he had to say in the press conference after the class was sealed, was he wanted to kind of basically recruit an entire football team. <laughs> and if you look at what he brought in, he basically did that. But the other part is he really wanted to focus on the offensive line. So you, you look, he brought in a ton of offensive line guys, but most of them didn't play. They almost all redshirted. I think there were five freshmen redshirt, you know, offensive linemen. So his first deal was to, to buffer the offensive line, and I wants to get some skill position guys to go around those guys. And he told me two weeks ago, emphatically, emphatically, that the offensive line will be a strength of this team within two years which is a pretty dramatic statement if you consider where it was last year. He said the offensive yes. line will be a strength in this program. And the reason, you know, we, we were talking about the transfer that went to South Carolina. And talking to him, I was like, you know, surely you're going to be looking for some more help there. He's like, less, we're fine. <laughs> That's going to be a strength of the program. You know, I guess he figured with uh, Nathan Gillian coming in, T.J. Haney coming in, uh, coupled with the five he registered last year, there's going to be a lot of competition offensive line this year. And he's convinced within a couple of years it's going to be a strength of the program, uh, which would be astounding. Yeah, especially given what we saw this past year. Um, but, you know, it's kind of the nature of National Signing Day to have decommits. And Wake has seen a few over the last couple of weeks. We had Dior Johnson. Jake Vargas, Christian Matthew, 
and uh, probably Lee Alter. I didn't see him uh, on on the uh, rivals list anymore. Um, did you have any idea that these guys were going to decommit? Did they um, leave one way or the other? You know, did the staff feel that they were going to decommit without, I guess, going too much into it? Um, talk a little bit about the guys that were leaving and why um, maybe what prompted them leaving? Did the staff feel they wanted to go in a separate direction, a little bit of both? Can you talk about those guys a little bit? Well, I think the reasons are kind of varied, really, to be honest with you. There's no, like, singular, you know, causation there. But Deer Johnson, you know, from the get-go, everybody thought Minnesota was a huge threat to his recruitment. Um, you know, obviously coming up from the Midwest, you know, Big Ten football, he had some friends that are attending the school as well. So there was a big draw there at Minnesota. That being said, once his visit came and went here at Wake Forest, he was extremely positive, you know. I think a lot of folks figured there was a very good chance that, they, you know, things had been completely solidified with Johnson. But then, you know, once he got, you know, made his trip to Minnesota, was around his friends, closer to home, you know, it just ended up being a better fit for him, I guess, is what he figured. You know, and that's and that, that gets back to another kind of truth of, you know, talking to kids and talking to these recruits is, I don't remember ever talking to a recruit that has a bad visit. <laughs> you know, they are, you know, obviously they're kind of wooed when they come to campus, you know, and they have a good time, you know, they have dinner with the coaches, the coaches, you know, talk to them about how important they are to the program. Of course, you know, coaches awake also tell them how much work it's going to be, but, you know, just the nature of a visit, you know, it's kind of like a mini vacation. You kind of get to kind of dream about what the future might hold and kids come out of these visits, you know, everywhere, you know, with, with lofty, you know, thoughts. And, and that's good. But, you know, sometimes you can't read too much into what a kid says right after a visit. It's kind of, after, you know, what happens after the shine wears off in a couple, three days, you know, what what, what are they saying then? You know, and then, and then it's when you kind of got to get to, you know, what are they doing on Twitter sometimes, you know, to, to kind of read the tea leaves, so to speak. But D.O. Johnson, you know, was was a lot of, you know, kind of location and friends and, and those type of things. Um, with uh, Lee Autry, I think there's some other things at play. I've never really gotten a firm answer as to what's going on there. I don't think he ever actually went through and said he was decommitting. I just don't think he's going to sign on signing day. He's just not a take for one reason or another, you know. So, And I, I, maybe that will be sorted out in public at some point, but I, I don't know that it will be either. So, uh, maybe it's one of those things that he might find a home at Wake, you know, some years down the road. Um, and then who else? Um, Christian Matthew, complete surprise. Yep. I don't think anybody saw that one coming. Um, I, I, I just don't think anybody saw that one coming, and I don't think anybody really even understands why at this point. But, uh, you know, he has found another home. And some, somebody, I think, along the way indicated that it could be a positional uh, uh, thing that he, that he they have placed. I can't remember where he decommitted to at this point now. It's such, it seems like a seems like a month ago, but it was really just a week ago. But um, who was the last one we were talking about that decommitted? Uh, Jake Vargas. Jake Vargas. At the time there, um, the perception was, when Wake went out and got Bowman Archibald, to that point, Vargas felt that, you know, maybe he had essentially been recruited over. That's when he started, you know, looking elsewhere. 
and that that decommitment had been kind of bubbling over for a period of time. And so I, I don't think that one really shocked anybody either. And once again, if you look back, you know, two weeks ago, you would have said the tight end position was a position of strength for the Deeks, and you wouldn't have been really that concerned about Jake Vargas's decommitment. All of a sudden, now it's a little bit bigger, you know, but, you know, it's just one of those fluky things, you know. But, you know, I'm sure that – I'm sure things will be sort of – you know, people can always change positions too. And, you know, if it ends up where, where Bowman can't go in the fall, which would, which would be terrible for him and, and for the program, you know, I'm quite sure that they'll figure out something there. But, um, yeah, that's what happened with Vargas. So. Well, certainly. And, um, you know, again, you, you talk to a lot of these kids. We sort of just talked about why – kids who decommitted when you talk to the kids who who have committed or or who have visited um you know what are they saying that the coaches are sort of are selling them on and obviously it can be uh sort of a case-by-case basis depending on the person and the position depending on how much we need a certain position but you, you know what what is their main selling point regarding wake forest on why a kid should go to wake over you know, Carolina, NC State, or, you know, anybody we're recruiting against. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a couple of common themes and, 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 you know, for a lot of the, a lot of the recruits and their families, it comes down to having the opportunity to be at a, at a top notch, you know, university from an academic standpoint. And then you mix in, you know, playing at the top level of collegiate football in the in Atlantic coast conference you know, it's it's there's only a handful of schools really that offer you know that that good of a mix. You know, just a handful of schools that offer that mix, and Wake Forest is one of them. And then and then you add in the coaching success of Dave Clawson across the board everywhere else he's been, and he's kind of able at this point to kind of even with a three and nine record, you know, in year one, he's still able to to kind of sell that you know. Everywhere we've been, we've had success. This is a successful offense. This is a successful defensive scheme. Everywhere we've gone, we've built a winning program. And the kids that are going and the kids that are committing are flat-out convinced that by the time they leave campus, they're going to be competing for an ACC championship. I'm telling you, these kids believe they will be playing for an ACC championship. And I say that in the same tone that I said, you know, that the offensive line will be a strength of the program in a couple of years. Because if you look at what happened last year, that would seem almost pie in the sky. But I guess if you go back and look at what this guy's done, at, you know, Bowling Green and, and other places, I guess it's really not that unfathomable. But I'm telling you, the kids believe they are, they have bought into this guy's vision. They have bought into what he has to say. And they believe that they're going to compete for an ACC championship during their, their four or five years on campus. And, you know, like I said, when you add in the academics, you add in playing the ACC, and then and then what Clawson has sold them that they can accomplish. And then, obviously, another component to that is the allure of, of playing time. Because if you look at the upperclassmen at this, in this roster, you know, it's, it's clear most of the key players on this team next year, too, are going to be underclassmen. I mean, it just is. There was a young team last year, and Coach Clawson believes they're going to be a younger team this year somehow. So it's it's clear that the, the main players, the main components, are going to be freshmen, sophomores. And they believe that they can come in and make an impact and, and play for, you know, four years, you know, at the highest level of college football. 
and at the end had to pay off of a plan for a championship and come away with a quality degree that if things don't work out for them in football, you know, they'll still be able to, uh, you know, have a successful life. So there's a lot of selling points. And, you know, uh, kids come back talking about the family atmosphere. And, and one, there's one, I can't remember who it was now, it goes, it was a family atmosphere. And he goes, he goes, and it's, it wasn't in a weird sort of way either. <laughs> I don't really know what he meant by that, but it's like it was like everybody just really got along. And <laughs> I can't remember who it was now, but it's kind of funny the way they said it. But uh, every, like I said, the, the, everybody seems to get along on these visits. They enjoy meeting with the players. They they like the coaches, and they're just they're sewed on the vision of Dave Clawson and, and Wake Forest. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, coming off of Grubb, that was something that he, Coach Grubb, we really felt he pushed to, you know, the family atmosphere, the academics. I mean, those are the obvious things you want to push at a small, yeah, I mean, I don't want to sound arrogant, but elite private school uh, where football isn't hasn't always been the top priority. I mean, it's hard to recruit against teams like Florida State, um, Carolina, all the teams that are perennially big public schools that have a lot more to offer in terms of, uh, I guess off the field distractions and can devote more talent to football than uh, we normally can. So it's always been interesting to balance that as Wake, um, you know, along with Duke and Stanford and Vanderbilt and Northwestern. Um, so it's good to hear that the way we're moving seems to be just like the old. We're just doing it very successfully. Um, but we're coming up on signing day. We've still got a handful of guys left um, that we're, the staff seems to be targeting. We had a few guys in this weekend. Um, I believe a safety that's committed to Delaware, uh, Nasir Adderley. Um, we had the aforementioned Jesse Bates, and I think we had another guy on there too. Um, along with Corvette Bullware, those are the guys that we're trying to get in here, uh, Saheem King. What are your overall thoughts? And, I mean, I know uh, w- without tipping your hand too much about what you know or may not know, um, share what you can about the thoughts moving forward to Wednesday and landing these guys uh, from what you can tell. Well, I mean, it, it's it's once again, it's becoming one of those points where it's it's like trying to read the tea leaves. It's really, it's getting to where there's just a handful of targets, and a lot of these guys have gotten suddenly quiet. So um, I, I know that the key targets um, seem to be uh, Saheem King, uh, the running back from from Georgia, uh, who's, who's uh, should be once again has to make a decision sometime over the next 36 hours, as we stated earlier. Uh, Quarvin Bullware, who many expect to go ahead and pick uh, Maryland tomorrow. Um, like I said, I'm having a hard time finding anybody associated with or remotely associated with the program at Wake that are, is optimistic about Bullware at this point. But uh, everybody's still hopeful. <laughs> There's obviously a difference between hopefulness and optimism. But you know that. You know, and you never know. And here's here's on, on a side note, if you look at there's a Lawrence Cager, a wide receiver who was ultimately I think picked Miami, but had like some of his final five included like Miami, Alabama, Ohio State, and Wake Forest. It's just like if you look at the final three or four, some of these folks, I think most would agree there's one program that just kind of looks like they don't belong. You know, but I'm telling you, Coach Carson is getting in front of these folks. And selling, and he's in the ball game. Is he going to close on some of these this year? I don't think so. I think he's going to fall a little bit short short of Bullware. He fell short with Cager, and he fell short with Dior Johnson. But I think as the next couple of years go on, he's going to close some of these deals. <laughs> you know, I think that the day is coming 
you know, where you're probably going to see a five-star recruit walking around Winston-Salem, and he's going to be committed to the Deeks. I think that day is coming. You know, I think that, you know, and especially if you look at the recruiting class for next year, whereas this year Coach Clawson had to go around and, and put together a group of, you know, 20 to 25 players. Next year he probably is going to only going to have room for like 10 or 15. He's going to be able to really hone in for those 10 or 15. So I think that the uh, from a star perspective, the quality might grow, even though the quantity might decrease. So, you know, from a numerical standpoint, for a rival's perspective, from a team ranking, it's not going to be as high as this year. But yet the people who come in might actually, you know, in the grand scheme of things, have a bigger long-term impact. That No disrespect to anybody that's on this list for this year intended because there's some impact players. But, you know, I just think next year and the year after that is going to be the year where he really, you know, Coach Costner really hones in and closes the deal with more of these four stars and above. Anyway, I went off on the side note. I apologize. Um, oh, you're uh, fine. That's much better than what we normally talk about on the podcast, so don't worry about that. Bowler and Keene are clearly at the top of the list. I believe that the uh, you talked about Adderley being one of the one of the three weekend visitors. I, I'm I'm guessing based upon once again just reading what he had to say on Twitter this afternoon, it seems like he's kind of firmed things up at Delaware. I don't think he's going to be a deke. Uh, Ty Cross is a name that he's currently uh, committed to uh, Syracuse, and he's someone that I think Wake Forest might get to flip here in the final day or so. I'm pulling him up just to make sure. I was thinking he was a safety, but I'm going to pull up just to make sure. Uh, defensive tackle. My apologies. He's a defensive oh, tackle from Syracuse, and he's someone that I think the, the Deeks might get to flip before signing day. Um, haven't heard much from him since the visit, uh, and I think he's definitely you know in you know in the realm of possibility. Uh, at one time, Khalil Welsh was a two-star commit for Wake Forest that many had thought had a good chance of flipping. You know, he got involved with West Virginia, got involved with Florida. There's some interest there. But I don't think – it seems like he's kind of solidified things and going to stick with Wake at this point, which, you know, considering the attention he got late, is, is pretty big for Wake to hold on to him. Um, trying to think who else may be a late get for the Deeks. Yeah, there were only three visitors. That's, that's one of the things, too, is that Clawson had so many put away early. You know, he was sitting on 21 commits in mid-October um, that, you know, even after the decommits, he could really target in and get, you know, who he wanted on campus early in early in this visit season. And then, like last week, he only had three people in. You know, so – you know, you know, he's already they're already out there working on 2016 guys. You know, I know everybody is to a certain extent, but with so few to worry about now, you know, for 2015, his hands are really freed up to kind of move forward. Um, so I don't think there's going to be a whole lot more added to this class. Um, probably just a couple more. My guess would be, you know, Keane and, and maybe Cross, and maybe there might be a surprise in there. So, I mean, I think it's going to, you know, settle in at about, you know, 24 commits. They're 22 right now, plus uh, Garrett Wilson. From what I understand, the long snapper is off as a walk-on. He's not on scholarship. Could be wrong there, but that's what I've understood to be the case. So, there's certainly either 22 or 23 commits right now, depending upon what Garrett Wilson's status is. 
But um, so, I mean, they've got room for a couple more, and I think that's probably what's going to happen. They're probably going to end up with about 25. Well, and another- as a side note, as a side note, that will probably end up being an all-time record class for the Deeks. So you have that too. Yeah, let's let's talk about that because I, I know you've done some uh, look back over the last several years of Wake Forest's um, you know rivals team ranking, which really, if if you look at team rankings over the years and you look at the success of those programs, they're incredibly highly correlated. So they they, they certainly do mean something in in the aggregate for sure. And right now, I believe we're about. 47th, 48th or so, according to rivals. Uh, talk about where that, as you say, it can be a historic class. Talk about where that ranks historically um, for this program. Well, I mean, it's, it would clearly be the best. And, and you know, and I wrote about this in mid-October for, for, for rivals, for, for Deacons Illustrated. And in mid-October, the class was in ranked number 30th, which, you know, obviously raised a lot of eyebrows. Like, wow, Wake Forest has the 30th class in the nation. That's incredible. Well, now they've got one more commit than what they had in mid-October, but yet now instead of being ranked 30th, they're now 47th. The reason for that is other programs have added a bunch more commits, you know, down the last three months than what Wake Forest has. You know, it's just it was going to happen. At that point, Wake had 21, and many of the other teams that they were ahead of, you know, had 12 and 14 commits. So, you know, clearly, as the other schools gathered more commits, they kind of passed up Wake in the rankings. But still, I think from what this class offers, uh, being ranked at 47th right now, and if you look at where the nearest competitor is, I believe the nearest one is Duke. There's several points, but I don't quite know formula as well as I probably should. But I think for Duke to pass Wake, it would take adding a bunch more recruits. They look, you know, behind significantly. So, you know, I mean, I I have to feel that Wake's going to finish up 47, 48th, maybe just upon if people, you know, down, you know, further down, add a ton more recruits. You know, I know at one time Florida was below Wake Forest, and they still are. Florida's ranked number 63 in the nation right now. And who knows, with Florida's, you know, name recognition, they could add, you know, four stars tomorrow, you know. But, um, you know, for the most part, Wake's going Wake's gonna to end up, you know, between 47, well, maybe even a little higher possibly if they add Keene. They could end up somewhere between 45 and 50 probably. And historically, was that? We can pass Texas Tech, it looks like. They're about .13 ahead of us. Um, and then Virginia is slightly ahead of them. So if we land a couple of guys here, we could easily pass those two and maybe even Minnesota. Um, so we could get up to as high as 44. It uh, looks like Duke and Rutgers are the two schools behind us, tied with Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> and they probably won't catch us. There's a big gap there. So No, they're not. The only I don't think there's a – I don't think there's any way they catch up. Like I said, I think the only people that can catch up would be like a Florida. You know, someone like yeah. that who just, you know, stockpiles some big guys at the end. You know, if they were to get Bowlware and a couple other four-stars out of nowhere, then they could maybe steamroll past Wake. But, yeah, it looks like, you know, mid-40s is where it's going to finish up, assuming Wake gets a couple more guys I'm kind of planning on. And historically, that'll be the best class Wake Force has ever had. If you look back to the year 2007, their class was ranked number 90th. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. you know, not no. that – was that? 
Yeah, that's not good. You don't want to be 90th well, when you're an FBS Well, player. that's so surprising because, two, you know, 2007 was the signing day, you know, a month after we make it to the Orange Bowl, two months after we win the ACC championship. So that's <sighs> disappointing. But go on. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear the disdain in the voices. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but then on, <laughs> but then on 2008, they were 58th then 64th and 69th. In 2011-2012, they had a pair of classes that both were ranked 70th. So, And then the last two years were 58-59. So this, by far, wherever it lands up, even if it stopped where it was right now at 47th, will be you know, by far the best class in the history of Wake Forest football. And, and once again, if you look at what they're bringing in, they're addressing their major needs, I mean, I just think it's a terrific class for Wake Forest football. I think you'd be hard pressed to to dream of a better, you know, better class than this. And uh, I think I think the future is is only brighter when you consider the fact of how much time Klaus and Wolf had to have developed relationships with the 2016 class versus what he had with this class right now. You know, I think uh, I think uh, it's only going to get, like I said, numerically the ranking pie won't be better next year because there'll be less commits. But but actually, you know, when you look at the average stars per, you know, uh, per commit, I think it's only going to get better for the Deeks over the next few years. So, uh, like I said, historic class, I think it addresses all the major needs. I think what Forest fans should be extremely happy come signing day uh, once all these uh, national letter of intents get, uh, start getting faxed in to, uh, to the campus in mean, Winston-Salem. I mean, it should be a day of celebration. Well, I I certainly agree with you, and um, looking forward to all those all those faxes and making it official. Um, anything anything you want to plug? That that those were all the questions we had. Um, but plug what I want to plug. <laughs> I don't know. You maybe know, a website I'm, that you run or <laughs> a Twitter yeah. handle, whatever. Yeah, I'm the publisher of Deacons Illustrated. I'm with the Rivals Network. I can I believe we're the best network in, in collegiate athletics for, for recruiting. Uh, you know, look us up on the internet. I mean I think it's at Wake Rivals is how you get yeah, it's uh Wake Rivals dot com. Wakeforce dot com. Uh we are a membership uh via website. I encourage you to become a member. It's less than a cup of coffee a day. Um I work my tail off trying to get the best recruiting information. And also covering the team as well. You know, um, since I've been here, I, I was the only local media member to go do ACC media days for men's basketball. You know, I cover a lot of the road games, you know, and uh, I love uh, being out at the arenas and at the stadiums covering the team. Um, you know, I came back from ACC media days with hours of information from Coach you know, Danny Manning and, and the players that nobody else in the local media had. You know, I spent an hour uh, interviewing Danny Manning and found out more about, you know, what he had in store for, for the basketball leagues, you know. I also encourage you to follow me on uh, Twitter at uh, Wake Rivals. And, um, you know, uh, like I said, I, I love uh, love being around North Carolina. Everybody's treated me great, especially you guys at Blogger So Dear. <laughs> oh. You know, we we appreciate that, and we uh, we certainly think you're doing a an absolutely outstanding job over at Deacons Illustrated. And um, when I say we don't view you as a competitor, I don't mean that in a, a condescending way. Or you know, we love when people when Wake Forest gets excellent coverage, and, and that's what they've had thanks to you. I mean, the 
in-depth interviews with, with, uh, with, with recruits going to, you know, press, going to press conferences, the, you know, the, the Tuesday luncheons or whatever with the football coach covering the football games, covering the basketball games, home and road games included. It has been, um, exceptional, um, and just infinitely times better than, uh, than your predecessor. So I think, uh, your website is becoming a, a very big asset, uh, for Wake Forest. So we certainly thank you for doing that. Uh, you know, I, I am a, we are members, uh, we do subscribe to your, to your website. And I, I agree with you. I would encourage those listening to do so as well. It is well worth the $10 a month or even cheaper if you pay by the, uh, the yearly subscription. Well, thank you, but I really appreciate it. Now, like I said, I'm having a blast. You know, I love doing this stuff, and and luckily the the the, the fans and 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 the administration too, and and the people around the program, everybody's just really been a pleasure to deal with. Uh, you know, it's, I, I'm really you know lucky to be uh, you know working with such a great uh, group of folks. So, makes it all fun. Well, that's fantastic. Well, uh, we we greatly appreciate you joining us, and. Um, Looking forward to a great Wednesday. Uh, I agree. You will be, too. And one sleeper I forgot to mention, uh, Amari Henderson. Charlotte Observer named him the Defensive Player of the Year for North Carolina. And the poor guy is a two-star by Rivals. I love Rivals, but I think they dropped the ball on that. Guy's flat-out a playmaker. Two blocked field goals and interception in the championship game. This guy's going to make some plays for the Deeks on the defensive end. Anyway, sorry, I just had to plug Amari one time. <laughs> no, that's a great plug. He's going to be a great player. No, I, I, I agree with you. I'm, I feel bad I didn't bring him up earlier. I'm, I was shocked when I looked today and saw he was a, a, a two-star, given what I've seen about his Player of the Year awards and his uh, championship game performances. But here's the good thing about this, guys. We could talk for hours about the positives of, of this recruiting class. I mean, that's something to think about. There's so many players on here that that offer a glimmer of hope for this team in the future. I mean, really, this podcast, I would get tired of talking, but we could talk for two or three hours about the players in this in this recruiting class. And that tells you the, the talent level that, that Dave Clawson and, and the group is bringing in. So it's, it's going to be fun to watch these guys develop over the next three or four years. So a lot, a lot of fun football coming up at BB&T Field. Well, we certainly hope so, and uh, we look forward to to watching the product they put out there and watching Dave Clawson and his staff continue to uh, build this program up to where uh, they think it'd be, and I think a decent number of fans think it be, can be. So uh, thank you very much for your time this evening. Thank you, Robert and Riley. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. Yep, yep. Have a good one. Well, a very special thank you again to uh, to Les for joining us. Um, had a lot of really good nuggets of information, a lot of a lot of insight, and you know he he really does do a, a fantastic job. I, I promise I was not just just saying that. He, um, he, you know, anybody who follows him on on Twitter at Wake Rivals, you will get uh, a lot of great information. And it is I recently started subscribing to the site. I, I do find it. Uh, to be worth the money. So, of course, come to Blogger So Dear, um, but uh, go to Wake Rivals, too. R- Riley, any anything else you want to talk about regards to uh, 
to National Signing Day? No, I think it's going to be a very interesting next couple of days. Wake's done a phenomenal job so far. Um, Saheem King, just kind of my own feelings towards it. I think we will wind up landing him over Middle Tennessee State. Uh, I, I like our odds there. I, not as high as Anquarvez Boulware, um, like uh, Les said there. I, I think that he's a longer shot than some of the other guys. I, I think, like he said, I think we can flip cross. Uh, Adderley's probably not likely at this point. Uh, Which just, is okay because we picked up Bates today and we got we got Henderson. And one of the things that I did want to ask him that um, I, we just didn't get to was kind of, uh, and a lot of people have been asking, but you know these guys that were landing late in the recruiting cycle for a school like Wake Forest, where you're already kind of looking at you know 2016 high end threes, uh, low end fours. You know where are these guys that we're looking at now, and not necessarily Jesse Bates, but you know kind of the two stars that are out there. Uh, the ice, these are guys that the staff has clearly been looking at, but to what point are you, quote-unquote, reaching on a guy? Um, I don't think the staff has reached really on anybody that we've seen so far. Uh, yes, keep in mind that Clawson was at Bowling Green, so some of these guys that are kind of out of left field, he's probably been keeping an eye on for a while because he, he developed talent very well there, and just because we haven't heard of, of them down here and they're a two-star or three-star doesn't mean at all that you know they're not going to be anybody that we can uh, – not talk about in two or three years to just fill a roster. Well, and, and I mean, honestly, even if you go back to his, uh, his last Bowling Green team, uh, which, which won the Mac championship, um, they, they were a top 30 team nationally, according to, to Sagarin and, and other advanced metrics. Oh, yeah. So the players he recruited there were a, a top 25, top 30 team. So he can clearly identify talent. And I think that's a great point, maybe from, being in sort of the max circles where he's looking at a, uh, I don't want to say lower tier, but less, they sort of have to identify diamonds in the rough. So he's looking for at those players who maybe bigger schools passed up on. And, you know, the, even this, this Jesse Bates kid, look, he's got some pretty good highlight film. I don't claim to be an expert, but Iowa offered the, you know, Toledo is not a bad Mac program. Iowa offered the other day, Indiana's shown some interest. So in, to be able to get a kid from Indiana, um, this late to get him to come to Winston-Salem and commit to Wake Forest over Iowa, I think that's big. I mean, you know, maybe that sounds dumb, but regionally he grew up in the Big Ten and it's much closer to, to Iowa. So, again, a phenomenal job by Dave Kloss and, and his staff. And, you know, I am excited about this class. Look, however many we end up with, 25, let's say it's 25, clearly not all are going to hit. There are going to be a number of busts, and I'm not saying that because of any particular players. I'm saying that because of that's what happens. Not everybody works out. Yeah, I mean, it's not even a, it's not really a, a bust per se. It's just that it's a numbers game. It's an attrition yeah. thing, it's right? I mean, natural you, you start 22 players, and then there's probably a handful more, seven or eight, that are going to contribute highly in any given year. Obviously, special teams is a bit of a different story depending on what the philosophy is. But, I mean, you're really looking at 30 key guys each year that are going to contribute. And just because they're not playing on the field, I mean, you know, the scout team, those guys are really important too. So just because you're not performing on the field or playing on the field on on game day, that doesn't mean you're not contributing. And uh, I think that we have a lot of depth, a lot of freshmen and Redshirt freshman, and I think this is going to prove to be an excellent, excellent class. And after talking with Les, I, I've got a great optimism that uh, we're going to be very happy with this. And he knows a lot more than we do. Oh yeah, and you know, and you look at the, you look at the kids, and you look at their other offers, and you look at the highlight film, and, and you say, you know what? About all of them, you can 
make a really strong case that this kid has a pretty good chance. And, and honestly, look, that that Scotty Washington kid, um, he was not as highly regarded, um, though he is moving up in the rankings. But he, he you know, had offers from UConn, BC, some, uh, you know, respectable football. Pro- well, UConn's not necessarily the most respectable football program in the world, but you know, that's a they might be the worst. Aside <laughs> from SMU, but you know, that's that's either here or there. But he has all the measurables. He's he's six five, runs about a four five. You look at the tape of him versus Lawrence Cager, who a, a person we were looking at committed to Miami. He's not as good as Lawrence Cager, but if you look at the film, and they play in, I think they might even play in the same high school league. Um, they're very similar players, have very similar skill sets, and that's a that's a player who we're not exactly talking about who who could be good for. So I look at, you know, pretty much all those guys and say, hey, that guy could be a contributor for us. Whereas, to be perfectly honest with you, and and I think anybody who's being honest with themselves, it would when they would look at the list of recruits we got would say, that guy doesn't have a chance and, and probably be, be accurate just given, you know, sort of who offered them and, you know, size, strength, whatever. Yeah. So... Anything else? No, just want to mention, if you're listening to this point, you're probably going to the Wake basketball game tomorrow. Um, Danny Manning wants everybody to wear gold, and I believe oh, really? uh, that it is an 8 o'clock game. Is that correct? Yes. 8 o'clock game, and this is funny, and I'm not ripping on Coach Manning by any any means, but it, he, he tweeted earlier today at like 2.30 that we were 15 hours away from game time. I think he was sitting down on 8 a.m., and, and I think somebody fixed it, but it was really funny. Uh, I logged on at middle last night. I was like, what, are we playing at 8 in the morning? Hey, you always got to be ready to play. You always got to be ready to play. So uh, it might be a little bit late for me to call in off from work tomorrow, but I can come up with a, a sickness, certainly, if we're going to play at 8. I'll, I'll take a half day. Oh, uh, yeah. But, you know, exciting win for the Deeks. Um, it, it, let's talk briefly about basketball. I know this is a National Science Day podcast, but let's let's talk briefly about basketball because, my goodness, if you care about Wake Forest football, you certainly care about the basketball team. I hate to say big win over Virginia Tech from this past weekend, but, look, it was a much-needed win. Uh, the previous three games, really, well, uh, three of the last four, really heartbreakers, uh, barely lost at FSU in double overtime. Really, unfortunately, lost against at, at Clemson. Carolina, we showed up for the first half. Not the best effort in the second half, let's be honest. And then a, a really strong showing at Syracuse. But, um, you know, just a few plays didn't go our way in those games. I mean, your impression really on the basketball team, We I saw we haven't had a podcast since we previewed the NC State game. Yeah, and I mean, I, I football. think <laughs> the, the next football game, we might as well talk a little bit about the basketball game. Oh, absolutely. Overall for the year, I, I think – Anybody that watched the team play over the last three or four years and is now watching it this year, you can, it's a night and day difference in terms of the talent level that we're – what we're getting down at the talent level. And I don't mean this in any way to be detrimental or, you know, derogatory towards the actual players on the team because uh, they recruited here, they came to play here. They took it's a more of a how talented other teams in our conference are. Yes, and, I mean, we clearly lack talent at certain positions. But, I mean, hats off to Devin Thomas and Cody Miller-McIntyre. One thing I want to talk about is 
how much Cody Miller McIntyre has taken flight from the uh, and it, it is a vocal minority, I will say, but uh, he's had an outstanding last three weeks, and it just seems that when the game is on the line, he has made the one mistake that has cost. I don't want to say cost the team the game, but it, you know it's a it's a glaring mistake. But I mean, I don't know how anybody can look at Cody Miller McIntyre and the rest of the team and think that Cody is the actual problem. I mean, he's played outstanding the last three weeks. I think he's averaging 26 and six or something like that. I mean, he he's in the top ten in the ACC and uh, in ACC play and points, field goal percentage, rebounds, and assists. I'm pretty sure. I mean, he he's on up there. He's had an outstanding ACC play. He's probably going to make a an All ACC team, which I'm sure will be frustrating for some way fans. But I mean, clearly he has a talent level that is suitable to getting to the rim and finishing and shooting isn't his best asset. And it's time to break out of the old mold of thinking that just because you can't shoot doesn't mean you're not a good guard. I mean, what he does is extremely good for the team. Uh, And I mean, shooting isn't something where you can just go into the gym and all of a sudden get better because suggesting that he shoot free throws isn't helping anything. Uh, He shot probably close to a million free throws in his life. It's not for lack of practice. It's, you know, at this point, his skill set is very well defined, and I think he's done a great job this year uh, leading the team, and Devin Thomas the same way. He had some downs earlier in the year, but he picked himself back up, and he's, both of them have played really uh, to an all-ACC caliber, one of the three teams in ACC play, and uh, I think Danny Manning's really done an excellent job of getting the, the most of the talent out of what we've got here. Yeah, I mean, I think we get players in, in pretty good positions to, to succeed, um, you know, Dinos, what a what a great laid ad oh, yeah. that was. Mitchell Wilbekin, what a great laid ad laid ad that was. And he is you know he has thoroughly outplayed not that it was necessarily a competition, but something Wake fans were gonna monitor was Shelton Mitchell versus Mitchell Wilbekin. Uh and Mitchell Wilbekin has thoroughly outplayed Shelton Mitchell despite having a, a low recruiting ranking. Cornelius Hudson has been a really nice, a really nice addition for us. Uh you know, six five, can can shoot a pretty well, athletic. Only a freshman. Dino's only a freshman. Admittedly, his defense has to get better. But, look, again, he's a freshman, and he's coming in and making a, a good contribution to the team. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Ken Palm and uh, there's a RSCI that had an expectation of what you're going to do as a freshman. I think all all four of the – well, three freshmen that we brought in have – or at or have exceeded expectations. I mean, especially relative to their recruiting. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Mitigley wasn't ranked. I mean, he he yeah. is off the radar. Mitchell Wilberkin, I think, was a two-star. He was committed to Tulsa. He was a two or three-star. Yeah, I think and it might have depended on the – but he was a low And he's above average. Cornelius, he was a two-star, I believe. Yeah. So, I mean, they're all performing above what is expected of any, any freshman, I believe, if not just – three-star freshman. It's what you're expecting in, yeah, the, I mean, if you in the top at, 75. I mean, Kim Pom only rates the top 75 factoring freshmen into the actual team's rankings in the next year. So all three of those are well above average, and stepping into the sophomore year, that's where you expect the biggest leap, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and, you know, that that's just offensive rating, and so it's skewed a little bit in terms of, you know, Dinos and Mitchell Wilberton being three-point shooters, even craft to, to an extent, but my goodness, it's we actually have people who, when they shoot the three-pointer, you have some confidence that they'll make it. And, again, that that's was not a some backhand rip on Cody. Cody has been spectacular this year. I mean, um, it's just a fact. Cody's not a good three-point shooter. It's, and, not, it's not a part of his game that he is. But we do he a, excels at. We do a good jo- a very good job of trying to push transition and 
get him to attack the rim. And this is one thing that's sort of been frustrating with Cody over the past two years, and maybe it wasn't even his fault. So maybe I was, you know, my fault if I was overly critical. I didn't think I was overly critical of him. But you watch him in high school, and he is attacking, attacking, attacking. And, I mean, you see him. He's built like a freaking NFL running back. Um, and get to the rim. I mean, that's what he built This year, it seems like far more than any other year, he is in attack mode, and goodness, is it a thing of beauty to watch him finish around the around the rim? It is. It's yeah, I mean, Saturday he went seven for seven from the field. I thought that was his best overall game. Nineteen. I was looking back today, kind of briefly. I think it was the second or third best offensive rating game. Uh, Kansas last year, he had like eight shots and twenty six or sixteen shots and twenty six points. Probably and then UConn. UConn so freshman year, ago, um, he was really good. He had twenty one point five rebounds, and I mean he, that was the second game ever. But I mean Saturday was a perfect example of what we want from Cody. Get to the rim. He should have had more points if it weren't for that. I oh can, my goodness, I, I that can, was the worst charge call I've I ever can, seen. I in my cannot life. even begin to explain how bad of a call that, that was. That was probably it, a block. It was. Well, and in the worst case, it was a no call. I think you were at the game by that point. I was watching. Oh, I was at I was the watching game. on TV. Oh, I was. And curious. I mean, it was well. You, even live, you could tell. Oh, it was. Not only was he, well, not only was he blankly sliding, I think his left heel by the time was finally done moving was actually in the restricted area. Really, like avoided him. He was just yeah and floating. But he, he did a great just scoop. Aside from the god awful call, that and that that was a. Saturday was horrifically that could have overall. Oh my goodness! Uh, on, bo- on both sides, but yes, that aside, Cody played I think his best overall game as a Demon Deacon on Saturday, just in terms of doing what. And that's the thing that Manning has done an excellent job of. Everybody, instead of everybody on the team trying to do a little bit of everything, each player on the team has a defined role. They know what that role is, and they're playing within that role. Let's be honest. Look, not everybody's good enough to do everything. No, and I mean this isn't the NBA where. Every, Probably every single player in the NBA, they're not going to do something everything well, but they are capable of getting six, 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 and six on any given night. I mean, yeah, that's the NBA. But I mean, you can't do that in college, especially when you're playing with our roster. Unfortunately, roster that are more talented than ours. But overall, I'm excited about the year, the growth, the movement. Probably not the wins that a lot of people are looking for, but let's be honest, this year was kind of a throwaway year anyway in terms of uh, getting experience and you know just. Don't get anybody hurt. Don't get anybody hurt for the long. I mean, re- I mean, really, and it's—I hate to say moral victories, but it's—it's it's good to see we are close in these games. We're—it's great. I mean, it is great to see us close against against Florida State, against Syracuse, against, against Duke, against Louisville, because our schedule gets easier next year. We get older. We add in good. We lose Darius Leonard, and we're adding three top 100 players. I yeah. mean, it's not. I think. One of our friends said it exactly right. Wake's just setting up for a huge win, an increase next year. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. And I think Virginia Tech's not as bad of a team as I thought they were. They're going to be some teams coming down now that they've got Justin Biz back. Yeah. And I'm not just saying that because they played as close. They played Virginia really close. They, they beat Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, they have an outstanding coach. Buzz Williams yeah, but, but Buzz Williams is probably my favorite coach. Well, Tony Bennett's probably by himself. Somewhere else. You love the state of Virginia but, coaches. But, but, yeah, Buzz Williams is an excellent coach, and I, I'm mad that we have to coach against the ACC moving forward in three or four years. I wish I could fast forward because they're going to be – they're all excellent coaches minus one or two schools. Peace, Andrew. 
Anything else you want to say? No, I think this was a great podcast. I'm really excited. Follow myself at BSD underscore R.A. Johnson on Twitter. I've been trying to set my game up a little bit more as we come towards National Signing Day. We're going to have a bunch of stuff on Wednesday. Um, as Saheem commits tomorrow, hopefully to somewhere, Quarvez commits, we will have the breaking news. Rob's got an excellent job of running the website. Uh, Rob, plug yourself. At Robert underscore Reinhardt, R-E-I-N-H-A-R-D. Going to be a great day of basketball tomorrow, great day of football on Wednesday. Go Deeks. Go Deeks.